Welcome to Gestational Diabetes Club. I'm your host, Helena, dietitian, nutritionist, vegetable enthusiast, and big fan of strong coffee and dark chocolate. Join me here each week to chat about all things gestational diabetes. We'll cover everything you need to know about your nutrition, lifestyle, and all the messy bits in between so that you can feel empowered to optimize your blood sugar, grow a healthy baby, and create sustainable healthy habits to last a whole lifetime without the stress, overwhelm, guilt, or confusion. Thanks so much for joining me, and I hope you love it here. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Gestational Diabetes Club podcast. Gosh, it feels like it's been a long time no chat into this microphone. Um, If you don't know, I've been overseas for a little while and I'm back now, but I went overseas for about five weeks and you definitely would be up to date with that if you're following along on socials. I am at nutrition.by.helena on Instagram if you're not already following me and you definitely should be. But yeah, I was um, I was away for a number of weeks and I feel like I accidentally ghosted you on the podcast because you know, in my mind, I was like, I think it'll be fine. I should be able to still record some episodes and get them out. But you know what? That didn't happen because I got a little bit caught up just enjoying soaking everything in while I was over there. I was so fortunate to be able to go to um, Spain and Italy and France. And so obviously, I just really wanted to be able to enjoy and make the most of that. So that is exactly what I did. And I was also seeing a few clients whilst I was over there. So, you know, that felt full enough for me, I think, um, rather than also stacking the podcast on top of that. So sorry that I left you hanging and you didn't get an, an episode out for, you know, a number of weeks there, but I'm excited to be back. And I've been back um, in Australia for a couple of weeks, back at home, and I thought that it would take longer for me to feel really motivated and ready to jump, like, you know, two feet back into work. But I've surprised myself and I've come back and I'm just so ready to go. And I'm so ready to be, you know, preparing these podcast episodes and recording them and chatting to you guys. It was actually so nice to come back and have a really, really lovely warm welcome, especially on Instagram. I feel like it was so nice to get into my DMs and chat with a few of you when I sort of got back onto my stories properly and started sharing a bit more about GD. So that's been awesome. Thank you all so much for just being so lovely and, you know, always up for a chat and I just love it. So if you've never DM'd me, absolutely feel free. But yeah, no, we should talk about what I want to talk to you about today. So this episode is going to be all about whether pregnant women and those who have gestational diabetes, like yourselves, are meeting their nutrient needs. And this is kind of another one of those episodes where nobody really explicitly asked me about this, but I think that this one is super, super important to discuss and something you need to know about and get your head around. And there definitely will be tips at the end, so stick around. But What I see playing out so, so, so much, especially online in support groups and places like that, is really this fixation when you've been diagnosed with gestational diabetes on carbs and carbs alone and just absolutely laser focusing in on how many carbs are in that, what carbs am I eating, what carbs are in this, and I don't know, almost missing the forest for the trees there. So obviously I do see where that's coming from because you are human and that's where your mind goes when you find out that carbs raise blood sugar and we obviously need to sort out the blood sugar so therefore we need to sort out the carbs. Like I get it. 
but there is just a lot to unpack around general pregnancy nutrition and as well as that nutrition for a lifelong of your body being better at handling carbs and regulating insulin and things like that. Because for a lot of you who have been diagnosed with gestational diabetes, that would mean that you have underlying insulin resistance. And so we need you eating in a way whilst you are pregnant, but also beyond that, in a way that supports that and, you know, sets you up to be able to live a healthy, fulfilling, long life, ideally without developing a chronic disease like type 2 diabetes, which would be really debilitating. So, you know, I just think that it's important to consider more than just the carbohydrates in your body, because it's certainly not just carbohydrates that can contribute to insulin resistance and not just carbohydrates we need to focus on in terms of managing insulin resistance let alone all of the needs of pregnancy and making sure that you're getting everything that you need to give your baby the best start in life. Because another thing to touch on, like there's just so many things going on here, but another thing to touch on is that these first 1,000 days of your baby's life, which spans from conception all the way through your pregnancy and up until toddlerhood, is really critical in terms of setting a foundation for their life and their health and almost programming whether they're going to end up with you know, chronic diseases later in life. And it's not the only influence on that, but it certainly plays a role. And also in terms of just making sure that they reach their full genetic and developmental potential, which is amazing. And then the other thing in terms of pregnancy nutrition is making sure that we're fulfilling all of your needs so that you don't just get through pregnancy and you might be fine, 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 baby's getting everything they need. But then after pregnancy, what happens if bub's been kind of pulling off all of your stores and you're left really depleted? And there's some classic examples of that, of things like calcium, which, you know, you're never going to be able to really tell what's going on with your calcium stores in a blood test because that will likely stay normal because it's involved in heart regulation and things like that. And it's actually stored in your bones, which we don't measure in a blood test. And so during pregnancy, as an example, like the baby will get all the calcium they need, but if you're not getting it through the diet, then they will be getting it from your bones. Your body will be releasing calcium from your bones to be shuffled off to the baby to make sure that their skeleton can be built and things like that, right? And so then after pregnancy you're much more susceptible to things like fractures and bone breakages. And I've genuinely definitely seen this when a woman has been, you know, just mid-30s, we think about osteoporosis and things like in your 50s, but I've seen a woman in private practice who was breastfeeding and she'd broken like her leg (laughs) because she was really calcium depleted likely um, and she was just so vulnerable at that time because it was likely she wasn't meeting her calcium needs and her bones were really brittle and she, you know, had a fairly innocuous seeming accident and broke her leg and then obviously that just really impairs you, especially when you've got a newborn that you're looking after. So yeah, um, I just think that it's really, really, really important that we do dive a little bit deeper around like what all of your pregnancy nutrient needs are and especially how that relates to gestational diabetes. So I just want to quickly come back to one thing that I was talking about there and I was saying that 
It's basically actually a major misconception that eating a lot of carbs and really sugary foods leads to any type of diabetes, whether that be gestational diabetes or type 2 diabetes or even type 1 diabetes. So there's a whole range of factors, including things like your genetic predisposition and other non-modifiable things too, like your age, as well as inflammation in the body, which is a really big one. And that is, um, that's worth knowing, but inflammation really gets thrown around out of context. So please remember that. And it's not necessarily caused by like, oh, one thing is inflammatory. You might hear people say things that are not evidence-based, like, oh, gluten is inflammatory, for example, but that's really not how it works. Like inflammation is definitely a real thing within your body and it's influenced by a whole lot of things. So like your whole lifestyle and your dietary pattern, and it's more like your diet as a whole rather than any food in isolation being, you know, good or bad or inflammatory or anti-inflammatory. And then that in turn has a major impact on how your body responds to things like your carbohydrate metabolism and your blood sugar levels. So that will become a bit more relevant further in this discussion. And back to just general pregnancy nutrition, I'm sure you must be aware on some level that what you eat is highly relevant to make sure that your baby is getting everything they need. For example, I'm sure you would know that you need folate to prevent neural tube defects like spina bifida. But it is, like I said, not always just to prevent catastrophes. Like we really want to make sure that we are maximizing their potential later in life. So again, I really just want to help shift your mind from being laser focused and fixated on the carbs and the blood sugar to looking at your diet and lifestyle with a much more zoomed out approach and understanding that your blood sugar is just one thing that we need to be focused on right now. And that can indirectly be affected by all of the other components in your diet too. So on to the proper part of this episode. The first thing you need to know is that pregnancy is a time of really high nutrient demands. Like you are growing a human. And when you're first pregnant, your baby is still really teeny tiny. So I bet loads of you have that app where it tells you the fruit or whatever your baby is equivalent to in terms of their size. So you know, when they're in that first trimester, they're honestly like the size of a grain of rice, which is crazy. So you actually don't need to eat any more in terms of calories or energy. But you do need to be really focusing on supplements and nutrients like folate because it's a pretty hectic developmental time. Um, And then things might actually play out a whole lot differently if you've got aversions, sickness, fatigue, endless hunger, all that stuff that can happen in the first trimester. So on paper, you don't have any increased calorie needs, but I'm sure that there are plenty of people who might be eating quite a bit more and quite a bit more of the beige foods and those really carb-heavy foods. So I think I get it and I know other health professionals and particularly probably other mums and women who have been through pregnancy get it too. But, you know, know that the whole eating for two thing is a myth. So you don't need any extra calories in trimester one. And then when you move into the second trimester, there's a slightly higher energy demand and then it's higher again in trimester three. So I know that most of you listening will be in that like second or third trimester when you've been diagnosed, but it's still only like a small calorie increase. So basically in the second trimester, that's like, I don't know, an extra fruit and yogurt and a muesli bar, like a big snack, and then an extra meal, let's say, in the third trimester. 
not a huge meal, just an extra like balanced meal. So if you can, try to keep these extra calories as a good balance of carbs, protein and healthy fats, as all of those needs go up slightly too. But aside from calories, your micronutrients increase as well. So if you're confused about what micronutrients are, they're basically the components that we have in food that don't add any calories, but they do add heaps of value in terms of just how our body functions. So that's things like vitamins and minerals, like your B vitamins, vitamin C, all that kind of stuff. That's your micronutrients. So we know that they're essential, but they don't contribute to like the calories and the energy that we consume. So which nutrients increase during pregnancy? Heaps of them. As I said, calories and then protein and carbs, they increase too. Omega-3 fats in particular. Vitamin A, vitamins that are in the B group. So folate, B12, vitamin B1, B2, B3 and B6. Vitamin C, vitamin D, iron, iodine, calcium, zinc, magnesium, selenium and choline to name a few. Now, I'm not going to go into all of those in depth because they all absolutely deserve their own episode, right? So we're not even going to touch on it today, but just wanted you to know that heaps of things have elevated requirements during pregnancy. And why are they important? Well, as I mentioned, your baby may be fine, like going through pregnancy, going through life and everything, but you've got to know that like they're Outcomes could be optimized if you're being really careful to meet all of those needs and, you know, look more progressively as well at what the later or newer research is telling us in terms of things like, well, choline is something we never really considered before, but now we know that that could really help your baby reach their full cognitive capacity. And, you know, down the track, maybe that would help prevent something like Alzheimer's disease. Like we don't have all of the answers yet. But I'm very much of the mind of like, well, if we could be optimizing things and who knows, who knows if it makes a difference or not, but we've seen a little bit of evidence that it can make a really positive difference and there's no like downside to doing this, then let's optimize. And, you know, we've got to consider as well that during that first 1,000 days of life, there's a concept of epigenetics where what we're eating has the potential to influence like how your baby's genes are expressed. And not only that, but like what you're eating can also influence like the quality and the health of the eggs that would be inside your baby if you're giving birth to a little girl, which would influence your grandchildren, which is mind-blowing when you think about that, that you can have an impact on your future grandchildren's health as well. So Epigenetics is a big deal. I really want to talk about it on another episode. It's not worth um, getting too far into today. But like I said, it's that that thing that basically programs them for whether or not they might get a metabolic disease later in life. Obviously, it's not the only thing that influences that, but it may play a role. Um, and then where was I going with this? So yeah, just talking about other outcomes that can be optimized. So even things like omega-3 fatty acids, where again, that's not something that we used to consider in great detail, but now we know there are so many benefits, including things like lower rates of preterm birth with people who are getting in adequate amounts of omega-3 fatty acids. So it's wild. 
And as well as the outcomes of above, like I said, deficiency in some areas could mean that you are at risk of certain conditions later. And we might not even connect this to pregnancy when it then happens. Like I said, like calcium and bone density and things like iron and anemia. So it's clearly just so important to be really thinking about these micronutrients whilst you're pregnant. But I also wanted to talk about looking at gestational diabetes more specifically. And I have a real tendency to want to read every single abstract and study that I ever come across to you guys, but I've tried to keep this relatively brief and just give you some of the cool info. But I really wanted to have a look at, you know, how nutrient intake impacts gestational diabetes and that kind of thing. So the research tells us that even before pregnancy and during early pregnancy, your nutritional intake seems to influence your susceptibility to developing issues with carb metabolism and blood sugar. So for example, a study in 2019 looked at the link between micronutrient intake in pre and early pregnancy and the risk of developing GD. And it was a pretty big study. They looked at over 6,000 pregnant women. And for all of the women, there were really high numbers of inadequate intakes of calcium, 50% of them inadequate, potassium, 65% inadequate, and folate at 80% inadequate, and vitamin E, also 80% of them inadequate intakes. Now, they did exclude supplementation from these results. So I'm sure that these women, you know, would have been getting things like their folate um, out of their supplement as well to top them up. But interestingly for us, they found that there was definitely an association between the women who had the best micronutrient intake having a 39% lower risk of developing gestational diabetes compared to those with the worst intake. Now, you would imagine that those with a better intake of those micronutrients probably just have a better overall diet quality and dietary pattern, which is relevant. And that would likely then, you know, they, they might also have other lifestyle factors. They might be more affluent. They might, you know, also go to the gym. They might also not smoke and things like that. So there's so many factors, but it's interesting nonetheless to say that the people with the best diet quality had a lower risk of gestational diabetes. And looking more recently, a systematic review this year, 2023, included 44 different papers and they concluded that iron, processed meat and a low-carbohydrate diet were positively associated with gestational diabetes, meaning that more people with a dietary pattern that was you know, high in processed meat and low in carbohydrates, for example, was associated with developing gestational diabetes. And they found that, by contrast, having a high intake of antioxidants, folic acid, fruits, vegetables, legumes, and eggs were negatively associated with gestational diabetes, meaning that people who were eating much better and following a more like well-thought-out, whole-food-based dietary pattern or plant-based diets actually had a decreased risk. So that's cool. And then there have also been some studies looking at specific nutrients. So Um, A couple of studies from 2023, one looked at vitamin C exposure specifically and found that having a low exposure of vitamin C increased the risk of gestational diabetes. And again, there's so many other factors to consider there, like why was their intake low of that? Um, And 
It is readily available in food form, like fruit and vegetables are usually pretty high in vitamin C, so if you're eating a good quality diet, it's likely you're getting enough vitamin C, right? And then another review looked at magnesium and found that levels were much lower in the blood of those women who developed gestational diabetes. So again, suggesting that deficiency of magnesium is associated with that higher risk. So we really want to be looking at making sure you're getting an abundance of those whole foods because magnesium is fairly widespread in the diet, really, in whole grains and lots of veggies and places like that. So if you're getting those things, you're likely to be getting magnesium. So here we want to be optimizing that. And we know from a previous episode that having a low level of vitamin D is also linked with development of gestational diabetes. Now, another study looked at 50 women six months before being diagnosed with gestational diabetes and noted that they were getting way more of their calories from energy-dense and nutrient-poor foods, like 65% of their calories, with only 35% of their total calories coming from more nutrient-dense foods like the vegetables. And they also had low intakes of iron, calcium fiber, iodine, and folate. And on top of that, none of them were meeting the recommended amount of whole grains, 90% were not meeting their calcium serves, and a huge 80% were not hitting their vegetable target. That's just massive that we've got all of these studies kind of pointing towards women who are developing gestational diabetes having these lower quality diets. So I can't get my message across like louder or clearer that we really need to be optimizing it to reduce the inflammation and reduce the insulin resistance and get the carbohydrate metabolism working better. You know, it's not just about preventing gestational diabetes because I know that a lot of you listening obviously already have gestational diabetes, but the reason I bring these studies up is because we can assume that if eating in that way prevents gestational diabetes, then it would still be beneficial while you've got that diagnosis, right, to be able to manage the condition. Now, before you think that I'm saying that all women with gestational diabetes eat badly, (laughs) I'm absolutely not. So I think that it's actually just more of a widespread problem. And so, you know, for example, another study in 2020 looked at over 500 pregnant women in Australia, so not just those with GD, and found that literally no one was meeting the food group-based guidelines in Australia. So no one, like looking at our Australian dietary guidelines in terms of you need, you know, how many serves of whole grains and five serves of vegetables and two serves of fruit. So those guidelines, no one was meeting them. Now, it's not actually a huge issue because you can definitely still be eating well and a well-balanced diet and not be sticking to those guidelines. But the study also looked at micronutrient intake and found that only four out of over 500, only four women met the requirements for folate, iron, calcium, zinc, and fiber through their diet alone. So again, they didn't factor in supplements, but it is still worth knowing that there's huge gaps and a supplement doesn't always cover those gaps. And we will come back to talking about supplements again. Now let's talk about the barriers to meeting these micronutrient targets because I know there's plenty and it's all well and good for me to be speaking into this mic just being like, yes, you should all be, you know, meeting those targets and eating so well and, you know, all the rest of it. 
I know that in reality, it can be a lot easier said than done. And for some people, there's there's loads of barriers. Like there might be financial barriers, access barriers. Um, there might be just the simple things of working and time and not even knowing what you need to be getting. So not even knowing what these micronutrient targets are. You could be dealing with a whole lot of symptoms that are making it really tricky. Like I said, like food aversions and just feeling really sick all the time, really fatigued, all of those things, they can play a role. Um, constipation, again, just tying in with those symptoms, having a low appetite, craving other foods like all those beige carbs, um, worrying about your blood sugar levels. This is a huge one I see in women with gestational diabetes where, you know, you might be really scared. You're ever really scared to eat because you don't know how it'll affect your blood sugar levels and therefore you just kind of restrict and it's much harder to meet your micronutrient targets at that stage. You might be worried about your weight and gaining too much weight. So again, therefore you might restrict. And even fear from advice like, you know, other people might be telling you like, oh, you can't eat carbs or you've really got to watch what you're eating with GD. And so again, like playing into that restriction thing. And there might be fears around food safety too. And then there's just all those lifestyle things. Like I imagine so many of you are super busy. I rarely meet someone who doesn't tell me they're busy, you know, whether that be having a job, whether that is the full-time role of staying at home and looking after kids and all that stuff. So I get it. We've all got busy lives and that absolutely makes it hard to really plan out your diet and make sure that it is like hitting all the goals. And then, yeah, like there might be preferences, family preferences, habits, just all the things. So I'm sure I don't need to go through all that twice. I think that you probably know what's stopping you if you are in this category of not being able to meet those needs and just in general what makes it hard in terms of your diet. But let's go, let's go back into supplements and, you know, can you just take a supplement and be done with it and just fill all those gaps? Well, I would say if I had to answer, like, no, like, yes, they definitely help. And we'll talk about this, but they're not the be all and end all. So you definitely need to be taking a prenatal supplement. I would say this absolutely needs to be individualized. For example, if you follow a plant based diet or you have elevated risks of certain things like preeclampsia or you've got a low baseline status for some of your nutrients like vitamin D, where you might have a you might need a much higher dosage to get you up to where you need to be and same with iron Um, you might have various food preferences for example if you don't like eating fish then you might be somebody that needs an omega-3 supplement so you know I think definitely individual needs need to be taken into consideration to make sure that the supplement you're taking is actually doing what we need it to be doing and do they help do they make a difference for this stuff well yeah So definitely in terms of making sure you're meeting some of those needs, like a classic example again is folate and preventing stuff like spina bifida. But looking specifically at gestational diabetes and optimizing outcomes, like I was talking about before, I would say a supplement is not the magic pill. So a couple of studies from 2019 looked at supplement intake and prevention of gestational diabetes and had pretty similar findings in that maybe there's a benefit, but we really just don't have the data. And it seems 
much clearer that actually having the good quality diet rather than just trying to supplement micronutrients is more beneficial in terms of reducing that risk. And that doesn't really surprise me because we do know that there's a real synergistic effect of food and a whole lot of like non-nutrient compounds like antioxidants in there. So what I mean by that is that different nutrients and just the matrix of foods really in influences how our body handles it and metabolizes it and what it does with it. And it really influences our health in mysterious ways and we don't know everything about yet. And there's other food properties and chemicals like phytonutrients that we, again, we don't have all of the answers about. Some I'm sure we don't even know about yet. And they all play hugely protective roles. Like that's basically the blanket of what we know, that they play protective roles in our health. Like, for example, lycopene is a phytonutrient that is really protective against cancer. So there's loads of those little bits and pieces involved in food as well that you just don't get from a supplement. So there, there is some limited evidence around supplements and gestational diabetes. So limited evidence that supplementing things like myo-inositol, vitamin D, vitamin B6, magnesium, selenium, zinc, omega-3 fatty acids and probiotics could improve glycemic control. But our understanding is really constrained by a small number of studies, small sample sizes in most studies, and lack of consistency across the findings. But zooming back out of gestational diabetes for a moment and looking at pregnancy in general, a 2023 study was more positive about supplements, uh, but they did still find gaps. So they found that for a large number of women, their diets were inadequate in choline, folate, iron, vitamin D, zinc, vitamin E, magnesium, potassium, thiamine, and B6. And even when supplementing, a whole lot of people were still below the recommended targets for things like choline, potassium, and magnesium. So they didn't really look at how the supplementation translated into real-life outcomes, but I think that it's worth knowing that a supplement isn't always going to cover everything and fill every single gap and make sure you're meeting your targets. So can be helpful, and there's a little bit of evidence that certain supplements can help prevent gestational diabetes in particular, but it's not the be-all and end-all. Like I said, it's not a magic pill, and we've got to be focusing on diet and lifestyle. So I'm pretty aware that I just threw a whole lot of research at you, which I'm good at, but what should you take away from it all? Well, there's heaps of different studies looking at different populations at different time points with different methods, right? So some of them are observational, some of them are randomized control trials, like there's loads. And they all come out with slightly different trends and dietary patterns and deficiencies and pulling out different nutrients of concern, like one might highlight iron was missed, another might highlight zinc. When I took a step back, I was doing all this research and I took a step back and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm feeling so overwhelmed and confused about how I'm going to bring this to everybody. But I decided to just take a breath and just kind of look at everything as a whole because I thought, you know, if I'm overwhelmed, you're overwhelmed. But I think that the main thing that I gathered from my research was that there's a whole lot of links that we could pull, like a whole lot of potential associations between certain micronutrients and certain outcomes, and in particular looking at gestational diabetes and certain nutrients and gaps and things like that and supplements. But the overall trend and the trend and the pattern and the similarities that I saw between all of these studies 
is that having a better quality diet in general leads to better outcomes and a reduced risk of gestational diabetes and therefore highly likely a reduced insulin resistance and better carb metabolism, better blood sugar, right? Better outcomes. So that is the main takeaway. It's pretty clear cut that preconception and pregnancy brings about this majorly vulnerable time where you're at risk of nutritional inadequacy and deficiency. I just think that it's so important to highlight that the people with the lowest rates of gestational diabetes were getting in a high quality diet with lots of micronutrients and they were likely also getting the best, most optimized outcomes for their baby, not just in terms of preventing catastrophes, like I said, like spina bifida, but also helping them reach their full potential and hopefully preventing things like type 2 diabetes occurring for themselves and for their babies later in life. Now, in both cases of pregnancy broadly and gestational diabetes specifically, supplementation doesn't always do the same job as food. Like it definitely, definitely helps and we need to have a good quality prenatal supplement and we need to have it individualized to your needs. But your diet seems to go further. It seems to be more beneficial and influential in terms of these outcomes. And we also can't discount the significant benefits that we're learning about gut health and how this has the potential to impact pretty much every system in your body as well. So if we consider that when we're really optimizing a good quality diet, which means that you're ticking off more micronutrients, you're also doing a really good job to support your gut in terms of getting lots of prebiotics and probiotics, feeding the good bacteria which can then go on to produce compounds that influence a whole range of areas. Um, And that can, again, indirectly affect things like our blood sugar regulation, which is really, really cool. So we want to foster that diversity and all those good bacteria. And I also think if you're hitting lots of those targets and getting a whole lot of nutrients through your diet, it really likely displaces some of those less healthy foods that we want to be getting less of. So that in itself would be a really big factor in terms of benefiting you. So ideally, the time to be focusing on your diet and really making sure it's good quality would be before conception so that you are really making sure that your eggs are good quality and giving your baby the best start from those early, early, early days. But you're obviously probably already pregnant when you listen to this. And so it's not too late ever, ever, ever to start caring about your nutrition and setting up really healthy habits. So right now, it will support your pregnancy outcomes and make a huge difference to your life too and your family's life post-pregnancy. If you really start thinking about how you can make your diet the best quality possible and think about your future self and how you want your diet and your lifestyle to look, how you want your family's diet and your lifestyle to look, and start behaving like that ideal version of yourself with your ideal health status, being the ideal mum, having the most body confidence and everything that you want in that regard. So I think, um, like I said, my main message is that you can't simply laser focus on carbs at the expense of thinking about the rest of your diet and your lifestyle when you have gestational diabetes and just in general. And you can't just eat less and less carbs and assume that everything's great and that you're doing better. It's not the full picture. So you need a well-planned diet if you want the most out of your pregnancy. So what should you do? Where should you start? 
Well, look at a food first approach. So like I said, don't just rely on a supplement to fix everything. Look at how you can really work towards a diet that is ticking all of the boxes. And I know this episode's been going on for a long time, so I'm going to keep this brief. But a food first approach, thinking about what you can add into your diet, right? So not coming from that place of restriction of, oh my gosh, I've been diagnosed with gestational diabetes, like what do I need to immediately cut out? Carbs, sugary foods, like all that. No, 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 let's stop coming from that direction and start coming from like, well, where can we add things to get the most benefits? So are you getting six serves of whole grains? Are you getting five serves of vegetables? Are you getting two serves of fruit? Three serves of protein? Three to four serves of something with calcium? right? And that is just the basic Australian guide to healthy eating. So are we meeting all of those targets? That's your first place to start. So familiarize yourself with the Australian dietary guidelines. It's basic, it's boring, but it's it's works. Um, People like to throw shade at it, but less than 10% of the population actually follows it. It's a very good place to start. Next, I want you to care about the quality of your food and not just what you can quote-unquote get away with in terms of your blood sugar. So rather than being like, ooh, it really works for me, I can have like jam on toast and I'm fine, it doesn't spike me, I would be saying more like, well, what could you do at breakfast differently that would be a whole lot more nutritious than jam on toast regardless of what your blood sugar is doing? Like we know your carb tolerance is therefore pretty good, so... Could you have toast with eggs and avocado and add some veggies on the side? Things like that. So like, where can we make sure that we're using your meal or your snack as another opportunity to be meeting those targets? And how many colors are on your plate? A pretty easy way to think about things is to think like, well, let's try and get three different colors of veggies or fruit onto your plate at every single, because that way we're like, well, we're getting a whole diverse range of nutrients if the foods are all different colors and we're ticking some boxes for sure. And if you think how many plants am I eating per week, and that's not just fruits and vegetables, that factors in other things like whole grains and nuts and seeds and legumes as well. Are you getting 30? per week at a minimum to make sure that you're getting a really good diverse range, feeding your gut bacteria, and like I said, getting all of those nutrients in. And we also know that following a more plant-based pattern can be helpful, so you don't have to go fully vegan or vegetarian, but swapping out some of those animal proteins and bringing in more plant proteins certainly makes a huge difference. So eating more legumes, for example, so things like chickpeas and beans and lentils, They obviously come with carbohydrates, but that's not a bad thing. You just need to know how to manage balancing those in with whatever else you're eating. And they are game changers in terms of your gut health and your overall health. And other sorts of plant protein like tofu and tempeh um, and even just focusing more on like less red meat and more of those other types of meat like chicken. And absolutely aiming to get two to three serves of oily fish like salmon in every single week. That is a huge one. And I guess just in general, like keeping that real whole food based approach. So trying to make sure that most of the things that you're eating don't come from a packet and are minimally processed. So it's fine to occasionally have processed foods, 
And I always think like if you're ticking all of the boxes in terms of like you're meeting all of these targets and then some other additions come into things like foods that are a little bit higher in sugar, whatever it might be, doesn't really matter because the likelihood of you eating like a huge amount of those things if you are ticking off all of these other boxes is low because you've crowded them out. Like there isn't a huge amount of room to bring them in when you're probably eating a whole lot of food if you are hitting all of those other targets, if that makes sense. And they're not a problem because you're getting everything that you need. So you'd obviously just need to be cautious of your blood sugar. But if some of those processed foods are coming in and you're meeting all of those other nutritious needs, then you're good. Um, But I would say as a whole general principle, Try and make the majority of your intake foods that are not from a packet, minimally processed, and that you prepared yourself at home. So I think they're my very best tips, and they're the types of things that I really focus on with my clients in terms of when I'm developing meal plans, I'm making sure that we are meeting those targets, like getting three different colors on the plate. We're using legumes, we're using plant proteins, we're not having red meat too much, we're getting in the fish, we're getting in things like nuts and seeds. So really try and optimize that in their diet and then do it in a way that is not overwhelming because I know listening to this probably can feel really overwhelming and like you need to totally overhaul things, but you don't. You can do this with normal meals, just making small tweaks. For example, if you're having like Pasta, which is fine, by the way, with gestational diabetes, just thinking like, okay, well, maybe it's a smaller serve of the actual pasta. And then in my sauce, is it usually just like meat and tomato? Right. Well, maybe I could change it to a leaner meat and use even like chicken mince or have half of the mince and add in some lentils as well. Do you normally grate in some carrot and zucchini and chop in some mushrooms? Or can you throw in a handful of spinach and make sure that you're getting those three colors onto the plate. Um, and it may be, like I said, if it's at breakfast and it's normally like, I'm running out the door with a piece of toast with jam on it. Can we just make that slightly more nutritious? Can we say, okay, it's a piece of toast and we do something like some cottage cheese to get the calcium and a tomato and you eat a banana on the side. You, you know, like we just do really simple things that make it easy. It does not have to be like making three meals from scratch in your kitchen, spending the whole day in the kitchen, cooking really overwhelming meals to meet these targets. I think just like keep it simple and make small tweaks to what you're already doing with some of these suggestions. I really, really, really hope this helps. I feel like I went a little bit like off over the place on a few tangents, a few rambles, but I enjoyed this research and I hope you've enjoyed listening to where the wind has taken us with this episode and that some of those tips are helpful for you. And if I can support you in any other way, please reach out. The best way is probably on Instagram via my DMs at nutrition.by.helena. If you're looking for one-to-one support, I offer a six-week coaching package where I develop your meal plan for you, which is totally flexible, completely based on what you're already doing. Like I said, I'm not overhauling people's diets. I'm making small tweaks to really optimize what you're doing at the moment, to really try and maximize the quality of your diet. So I do have some spaces available now that I am back from overseas. So you can DM me if you would like to hear more information about that or hit my website, which is 
www.nutritionbyhelena.com should be in the show notes. And other than that, if you enjoyed this episode, I always appreciate your reviews or DMs or ratings so, so much because otherwise I'm never sure if anyone's taking anything away from this. So please let me know. And I appreciate all of your listens so much. And I hope you're having a beautiful day wherever you are. We'll chat soon. Bye. That is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't already, please make sure that you subscribe or hit the plus button so that you can get new episodes delivered straight to your podcast app every week. And if you did find this episode useful, I would appreciate it so, so much if you could leave a rating and review or share it with a friend. It helps me reach more people so that I can help them take some of the stress out of gestational diabetes too. And if you want to keep learning about all things gestational diabetes, head to my website to find all the ways that I can support you. Thanks so much. Chat soon. Bye.